Well, good morning. It's so nice to see you here, and I'm so excited to be able to be with you all today. Uh, For those who don't know me, my name is Evan. I have the blessed opportunity to work at the church, Um, and today we're going to continue our Advent series. Uh, We've been going through over the past couple weeks this this series called The Wonder of Christmas. Uh, We've talked about hope, we've talked about love, and we've talked about peace, and today we get to continue this uh, by talking about the concept of joy, and not just any joy, what what biblical joy looks like. And so I want to start today by asking a question, what is joy? What is joy? And, you know, there might be some of us that that say it's, it's almost like happiness, right? Joy is like another way of saying happiness, uh, there might be others that say that, that joy is a key emotion that we have in life. But when we look it up in the dictionary, we see that there's a couple definitions of this word joy. Um, we see as a noun, it's described as an emotion evoked by well-being, success, good fortune, or the prospect of pose- or pro- pro- possessing what one desires. Sorry, I got tongue-tied. As a verb, it's described as to experience great pleasure or delight. And that's, that's what the uh, dictionary describes. And with this definition, one might associate joy and happiness, and they might see that they're closely re- related, right? But what if I told you there is a difference between happiness and joy? That one is related more to an emotion, whereas the other is a state of being, and so when we look at this biblical definition of joy, we, we see something that is very different from the cultural view of happy. We see that while joy is defined as being closely related to gladness and happiness, joy, it's more of a state of being rather than an emotion. That's what happiness is, an emotion. Joy is a result of choice. Joy is described as one of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, and so having joy, it's, it's a part of this experience of being a Christian, right? This is something that, that we look for when we're following after Christ. And this is countercultural to what we see in today's world. We live in this do-whatever-makes-you-happy culture, right? It's the you-do-you culture of today. When something doesn't go our way, we feel like the world is against us, and there are times when we feel like even God is against us. That's what happens when, when, when we look to happiness, right? We, we, we see that it fails. And as believers, we need to recognize there's this difference between cultural happiness and biblical joy. We see in Scripture that uh, the joy, it comes from many places. In Psalm 16, we see it comes from his presence. In Nehemiah 8, joy comes from his strength, God's strength. In Psalm 71, joy comes from deliverance. In Psalm 30, joy comes after grief and suffering. And in James, we see that the joy comes through trials. And that's just the name of few. This is so countercultural to what the world thinks of as joy. With these descriptions, it might also seem impossible for us as believers to, to have joy, right? How do we have joy in the midst of suffering? How do we have joy in the midst of trials? But we need to remember that, that God reminds us that we are in this world, but warns us that we're not of this world, right? 
The truth is that in this life, there is suffering, there is hardship, and there's no way around it. And if our, if our main goal is happiness, we're going to fail. Why? Because happiness, it, it's rooted in the way that we feel. When we experience the death of a loved one or we get the, the terrible diagnosis from a doctor, if, if we just focus on our happiness, guess what? There's no hope. There's no hope. But when we look at joy and, and the joy that we have in Christ, we can face those d- difficult situations and we can, we can face it with this joy that we have, this hope that never fails, this joy of the Lord. Now, of course, we're still going to hurt. We're still going to grieve. We're still going to mourn during those hard times. But the difference is, that is when we focus on biblical joy rather than this worldly happiness, we have confidence in a God that loves us so unconditionally, a God that, that cares for us so unconditionally. And so that's what biblical joy is all about. But what does it look like to live out this biblical joy? In today's passage, we're going to look at three different groups of people, and we're going to see how each of them responded to the news of Jesus' birth. We're going to see how each of them approached this idea of joy, or I should say, we should look and see how, if they approached it with this idea of biblical joy. If you would, go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's some around the room. Uh, you can also pull out your smartphone, use that, um, but it will be up on the screen as well. And we're going to be in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And so if you would, um, once you get there, uh, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief's priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, you are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may too come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they, retur- they departed and returned to their own country by another way. That is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Uh, Father God, as we gather here today during this Christmas season, Lord, I ask that you will be with us. 
as we discuss what true biblical joy looks like, I ask that you will humble our hearts so that we might understand what it looks like to truly be joyful in all circumstances. Father, I ask that if there is any sin in my life that would hinder the, the preaching of your word, Lord, would you pardon me today so that your, your word and your, your truth may be heard. And Father, if there's any sin that would hinder the receiving of your word today, I ask that you would pardon each of us in this room so that we may grow in your presence today. Jesus, please, please be with us. Walk with us as we journey through this, this text and this scripture. And we ask this all in your most heavenly and precious name. Amen. You may be seated. So the first group of people that we're going to look at today are the religious leaders of Israel. It's not the first group of people that we see. That's the Magi. We'll come back to them. Uh, but I wanna, we want to look at these religious leaders of Israel first. And now these people, they would have been the members of the ruling council in Jerusalem called the Sanhedrin. Uh, they made up of Pharisees, Sadducees, all these different people. And they were in charge of upholding the religious law. Uh, they did some uh, civil and criminal stuff as well. Um, however, under Roman law, they, they didn't handle any of the death penalty stuff or anything like that nature. Primarily, they, they focused on this religious law that was uh, being upheld uh, in Jerusalem here. And so we see in this story that Herod, he, he assembles these people together in order to identify where the king of the Jews was to be born. Verse 4, he sa it says this, And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And right away, it, it's very clear that these people knew the right answer, right? Verse 5 and 6, it states, And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. It was, it, you know, when, when we see this, it was just bam, real quick. These people, they knew the right answer. It would, they knew these Old Testament prophecies. And, and here they're, they're quoting from the prophet Micah, one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And there was no research, there's no debating about where the Christ was to be born. And, that's, and, and when we look at that, we're like, wow, these guys knew a lot of stuff. Um, and historians, yes, they tell us that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had the entirety of the Old Testament memorized. And now for them, uh, that's like the whole Bible, because the New Testament wasn't written yet. So they basically, they had all of these scriptures memorized. Uh, they had all the laws memorized. These guys, they knew the right answers, right? The Christ, he was to be born in Bethlehem. But just because they knew the right answer doesn't mean they responded rightly to the birth of Jesus. Let's think about this for a moment. Do you see anything in this verse that tells us that the Jewish leaders went to Bethlehem to check this claim out. We don't see any of that. There is nothing. These men, they knew the answers from the, the scriptures. And so when word got around that, hey, the Messiah, he, he's born, and they were asked where, they responded. They gave the correct answer, but they didn't do anything about it themselves. You know, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, it's a total of six miles. I walk six miles a day, and I sit at a desk most of the day. Like, it's not hard for them to go and do this, right? 
There's no record here, though, that they rejoiced or that they went to visit him or that they went to worship him. There's nothing. And in fact, some of these guys that were members of the Sanhedrin, these were probably, uh, there were probably some of them who a little, th- uh, about a little over 30 years later, would be the ones who got jealous of Jesus, would reject him and ultimately crucify him on the cross. They knew the right answers about him, but that wasn't enough. Listen to what Jesus says about them in Matthew 23. Just a few years later, he says, They, the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, tie up the heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move with their finger. They knew the right answer. They knew the right things to do to worship. They knew where the Christ was to be born, but they didn't do it. Their so-called religion, it's, it's just an intellectual game to them to see who's the smartest. It's, it's not joy that comes from worship from their hearts. And if, if I'm being honest, I think a lot of us are like these guys today. Many of us are lifelong churchgoers who, uh, who, who, who know the stuff, right? Uh, we, 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 we respond to Jesus by all of the things that we know, but it's like an intellectual response. We know those things, but we don't actually go beyond that. We just know it. We have all the right answers, and we've had it for most of our lives. I'm included in this. And, and, and when we think at times that we have the right answers, we think that the, that, that kind of makes us right with God, right? That's what these people thought. They knew everything. They, they, they figured that they were right with God. But knowing the truth, it does not save you. Knowing the truth does not save you. Our faith is more than just learning about things. It's how we actually apply that to our lives. We need that reminder today because there are people who feel like they are right with God all because they know the right things. Right? There, there are people that, that adhere to the fact that the Bible, it's the inspired word of God. They recognize and nod their head in agreement in the understanding that there is only one God and he is three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They know that we are saved by grace, not by works, and only through the death and resurrection of Jesus. They know all of the details about the Christmas story. Now, now it's important to know those things, right? You know, we want to grow in our knowledge of God each day. When we become uh, believers, when we, when we follow after Christ, that's one of the characteristics that show that we're changed. We want to grow in that knowledge, but we also must realize that the real joy in worship, it's, it's more than just having the right facts. The Jewish leaders of Herod's day, they had all of the facts, but there is no evidence, no evidence that they worshiped or found joy in the birth of the Messiah. And some of us need to be confronted with that today. Just because we can quote John 3.16 doesn't mean that we're saved. Just because we know the Christmas story And some of the details of it, it doesn't mean that we are in right relationship with God. We can know all the right stuff, but still be lost and without joy. You know, Pastor Rick Warren, he's quoted as saying this, There are 18 inches between your head and your heart, but unfortunately, some people will miss heaven by those 18 inches. They know God in their heads, but not in their hearts. They intellectually believe the gospel, but they've never let it change their hearts. 
That's hard. That's hard. And so the most important question for us today, it's not, do we know the the stuff about the birth of Jesus? But rather, have we had a vital encounter with Christ? Ask yourself, have we experienced the true joy that comes from a right relationship with him? Are we truly worshiping and serving God? Let's make sure that our response to Jesus, that it's not like these religious leaders, an intellectual response but rather a joyous celebration of the birth of Jesus, that we walk those six miles, that we see that baby with his mom, Mary, and that we worship him. Now let's take a look at the second person in our story. That's the person of Herod. Now you might know a little bit about Herod. Uh, He's described as uh, King Herod in this passage. History knows him as Herod the Great. Um, He's this big figure in this this story, in, in the Bible, But how did he respond to the birth of Jesus? Well, we see in in the first three verses that he was troubled. Listen to what it says. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it arose, and we have come to worship him. And this this is key right here. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. When Herod heard of the birth of the king of the Jews, he was upset. He was deeply troubled. And the purpose of this is because Herod, he is known throughout the whole Roman Empire as the king of the Jews. He's the king appointed over uh, Israel in that area. So he's known throughout this whole Roman Empire as the king of the Jews. And here are these guys coming up and saying, hey, where is this new guy? He's the, the, there's this new baby that has been born, the, the king of the Jews. And so Herod, he's extremely anxious. He's upset. How dare someone come and take his title? And so what happens next? He meets with the wise men secretly so that he would not give any credit to this claim. Right? These wise men, they're going around Jerusalem trying to figure out where the Christ was. Because after all, this new king, shouldn't he be in the palace? So he's searching for them, and Herod hears this. So he meets with them secretly, right? He doesn't want to give any claim to the fact that there's another king that has been born. And what does he say um, in in verse 8? He says, "And, and and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. It sounded for all outward purposes as though Herod was responding to this news well. He, he responded that, hey, I want to worship the birth of this new king. And he told them, just let me know. I want to come and do it. But we know, looking back at the story, that he had something else in mind, something a lot more evil, right? You know, the rest of the chapter tells us the story that after the, the Magi found Jesus and, and worshipped him and saw him, um, they were warned in a dream. An angel came uh, and warned them not to go back. And so they went home another way. And, the, and this is what the beginning of the next part of the story says in verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and he killed all of the male children, male children in Bethlehem and in all the re- that region 
who were two years old or under, according to the time that had been ascertained from the wise men. And so Herod, we see this guy, right? He outwardly acted as though he was going to worship God. That was what he, he had put forth. But actually what he wanted to do was find this child for his own selfish and evil purposes, which was to kill him and solidify his hold on the throne. His so-called worship, it's, it's hypocritical. That's his response to the birth of Jesus. And so we, we need to guard ourselves against that hypoc- hypocritical worship today. And there may not be anyone here that's outright as evil as Herod. You know, no one's wanting to kill whoever's in their path, or at least I hope not. But it's very possible for us to be like him in essence, right? It's very possible for us to put up this facade of worship, whereas the truth is that we're, we're more concerned about our own personal agendas, about what we want, rather than glorifying God and worshiping him joyfully. We let our own stuff get in the way. And so each one of us, we just need to ask ourselves from, from time to time, why am I here today? In my heart of hearts, why have I come to church to worship? Why do, I, why do I pray? Why am I here to worship Jesus? Am I, am I here to actually worship him, or am I here to just check off the box for myself and get something for myself? We need to be, make sure that we're not using church, we're not using our faith, we're not using uh, our own outward um, perspective for our own personal agendas. We don't want that. We, we want to worship Jesus. We don't want that hypocritical response that Herod had. And so that's Herod. So we've talked about the, the, the intellectual people, the, the, the council at Jerusalem. We've talked about Herod. And now what is the third group of people here? It's the wise men. And now we don't know a ton about these guys. Um, the Bible doesn't say a lot. Uh, they say that they're from, the, the, the scriptures say it's from their, they're from the east. Um, we don't even know really about how many there were. Um, Tradition tells us that there were three, but generally that's associated because there's three gifts. People think there's three wise men. Um, but honestly, that, that doesn't really mean much. There could have been a lot more. There could have been less. We don't know. Um, but being from the east, they're probably most likely from the Babylonia area. Um, and that makes sense because they're, they're familiar with Jewish customs. They're familiar with Jewish faith because um, there's still Jewish people out in that area that had been living in that area since the time of the captivity, about 400 years earlier. Not everybody came back after the Babylonian captivity. They decided to stay in that area. And so that kind of makes sense. And um, these guys, they're considered to be magi. Magi, that's, that's the original name of like the Persian priestly class. Um, it's later associated with magicians and astrologers. And it's clear that they knew astrology because they, they saw this star, they were concerned about it, they wanted to report and do that. Um, but even though we don't know a ton about these people, we, we do know something that's extremely important. We know that these magi, they had a heartfelt worship. We know that they had a joyous response to the birth of Jesus. They came to, to merely just worship him and see this king. And so how do we know this? Uh, in, the first 10 ver- in, in verses 10 and 11 here, uh, we see three characteristics that point to this joy-filled response. 
Um, and the first, the, the first characteristic is it's joy itself. Um, listen to what verse 10 says. It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So upon arriving to the house, they see the star again that initially alerted them to the birth of the king, and they rejoiced. This is, this is a big deal for them. This, this was the moment that they traveled for. They traveled 900 miles to get to this point. So they, they see the star. They knew they're at the end of their journey. And they responded by rejoicing before they even went into the house. And John Piper, in his message on the Magi, it, he, he describes the reaction in this way. He says, they rejoiced, but not only that, they rejoiced with joy. But not only that, they rejoiced with great joy. But not only that, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This, this, this kind of four-part response here, it's a big deal. In the Greek, it can literally be translated as exceeding, or we can, we can even say today, mega joy. They had mega joy. And this was not just a quick, yeah, I made it. I made this journey. That's pretty cool. No, they... They worship. They, they rejoice. It wasn't this religious ritual. It was, it was this worship and joy that came from deep down inside of them from their heart. You know, we, we see in this that Christianity, it's not this religion of ritual, right? It's not a matter of just doing the right things. Jesus said in John 4, those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Real worship, it comes from the heart. And we see this played out in Psalm 100. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Shout, for joy, for, shout to the Lord with gladness. Worship, it's, it's not a matter of formalism. It's, it's, it, we're, we're to shout joyfully. We're to serve with gladness. And so if we have biblical joy, these things are almost second nature, right? We shout, we serve, we, we go into this rejoicing, you know, I, I look at this, I don't have any kids, but I, I've been around uh, family members and friends who, who have had uh, children. And one of the things that I always notice in interactions, especially with grandparents and their grandkids, is that as soon as the grandparents walk into the house and they see that kid, right, they, it's so obvious that they're so overjoyed to be there. When they're holding their, their grandchild, you can see the joy in their face, and this isn't something that they have to do, right? They don't have to come. They don't have to hold the kid. But they do it because it's a heartfelt joy. They, they want to be a part of that. That's what this, the, the, the text is saying here. These guys, they wanted to do this. They didn't have to come. They didn't have to worship the king. But they rejoiced. They were so excited to do it. And now think about that for a moment. If, if, if you really, think of something you really enjoy in life. Right? Whether that's your grandkids, whether that's uh, football, whether that's hunting, whatever it is. If you think about something that you really delight in. No one has to make us do those things, right? No one has to make you go out into the woods at 5 a.m. to go hunt a deer. But you delight in those experiences. You rejoice to do them. No one has to make you do it. In fact, uh, you do it because you love it. You don't have to put it on your calendar you probably have to schedule time not to do those things, right? Or your wife tells you you're not allowed to do those things. Um, you spend time with her. And if you've, re- and if you've never realized it before, that's a lot of what faith is like, right? 
when we love God, worshiping him and having joy in him, it's something, it's not something that we have to do, but it's something that we should want to do as followers of Christ. We should want to come to church. We should want to be with our brothers and sisters and worship the king, rejoicing exceedingly with great joy when we worship the king, especially this Christmas season when we celebrate the birth of our king. That's something that we should want to do. So joy, that's the first characteristic. The second is this, that their joy-filled response is defined by humility. Look at what the text says in the first part of verse 11. It says, In going to the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. This example of humility, it's, it's an example of this joy-filled response that the Magi had. Often in Scripture, when people would, would bow down and worship the Lord, they fell on the ground before him. And so the Magi here, they're, they're humbled to worship this newborn king. They didn't need to be asked. They didn't need to be told, hey, you got to do this. They did it because it's this proper response, this proper joy that is in their hearts. They wanted to go out and they wanted to do it. And so real worship and biblical joy, it involves humbling ourselves before God in our life. It involves humbling and and setting aside our pride so that we may worship God. You know, we can't let our pride continue to be enthroned in our lives and worship God. It can't happen, right? It doesn't work. The problem here is that too many of us, we're trying to play it both ways, right? We're trying to worship God on one hand, all while trying to keep our pride intact on the other. But we can't do that. We can't let our pride stay intact when we try to worship God. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. And I think a few good questions for us to ask in response to this is, when is the last time I humbled myself in worship? When is the last time that I stopped and joyfully worshipped, saw the lyrics, actually understood what they meant, and worshipped joyfully? Now, I'm not saying here that you have to fall on your face and, and get down on your knees when you worship every single time. All right? it, it, the, the biblical humility here is submitting ourselves to God. The Apostle Paul, he gives us an example of this when he writes Philippians 2. Listen to what he says. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form, though he was in the form of God, did not count did not count equally with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and in heaven on earth, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Paul here, he's encouraging ordinary believers in a local church who have evidently have some sort of pride, right? 
And he wants them to reflect on and, and adopt these attitudes and actions of Jesus, their Lord, and to follow his example of humility. And so when we ask ourselves this question, how are we humbling ourselves be, before God in our lives, we see that genuine worship, it involves humbling oneself before their king in whatever way that may look like. Maybe, maybe setting aside something so that you can help something else, somebody else. Putting some time and effort into your family rather than doing something for yourself. Humble, humbleness, being humble before the king is that second characteristic. And so we have joy, we have humility, and the third is this. It's that they have this generosity. All right? Listen to the end of verse 11. It says that then they, the Magi, opened their treasures and presented him gifts of gold, of frankincense, and of myrrh. And now this is probably one of the most famous parts of the story, right? When we think of the kings, or we, we, we think of them as kings. They're most likely not kings. Uh, but when we think of the Magi here, right? We think of them bringing these three gifts, laying it down at the feet. We know that these are uh, big gifts, um, and, and honestly, this is, this is where we get this Christmas tradition of giving gifts from. This is where it originates right here. And so this is the big part of the story for a lot of people. And we see in here that, this, that the Magi, these giving of gifts, it, it, it's part of their joy-filled worship. And we see that giving and, and generosity, it's been a part of Scripture all the way from the beginning we see that in the book of Genesis, Cain uh, and Abel offer their gifts to the Lord. We see in Mark the story of the woman who comes in with a very expensive perfume uh, to anoint Jesus. It, and it's so expensive that it could have been sold for a year's pay. The disciples in this story, they rebuke her and Jesus says to leave her alone um, for she gave what she had. This idea of generosity, of giving, it's something that is throughout Scripture. And so this offering and, this, and, this, and, and, and these gifts and this generosity, that's how we can joyfully respond to God. Right? Now, this doesn't always have to be money. We can also joyfully give our time and our energy to advance the kingdom of God. But if this is the case... You know, even if this is the case, generosity, it's still a mark of a joy-filled response to God. If a person is not eager to give, then that's a clear indication that there's, there's something not right in their hearts towards God. As believers, we should be wanting to give of our time, uh, of money, energy. Whatever it is, we give ourselves to God generously, Right? And so as we kind of wrap up this morning, we see the three responses. We see the, the religious leader's response, which is an intellectual response. We see Herod's response, a hypocritical response. And then we see three different ways in which the Magi responded joyfully to God. And that's the, these Magi, that's what it looks like to have true biblical joy. And so when we draw to a close this morning, I want to reflect on our response to the joy in life. How do we respond? Do we take after these religious leaders who put their knowledge and uh, what they know above all else? Do we, do we respond like Herod? 
put our own personal agendas, our own wants and desires ahead of what, uh, what God wants? Or are we like the Magi? The, the people who were, were pagans, came from a pagan nation, but they decided to joyfully respond to the king, to joyfully respond to Jesus with worship, with humility, with generosity. Who will we be like today? And this is extremely important, especially this time of year when culture is all about gifts, possessions. Are we celebrating Christmas because of the joy we have in our Savior? Or are we celebrating Christmas because, hey, I get to go eat good food, I get to get a bunch of gifts, it's going to be a great day. How do we respond to Jesus? You know, as I'm reflecting on this this week, I, 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 I was thinking about a couple weeks ago when I failed at this. You know, Janine and I, we had the opportunity to both take a week of vacation. Um, and we went and we visited family uh, that we hadn't seen for a while. And, you know, for me, visiting family, it's not always a vacation. Um, and, and this is especially true um, because right now, like, Janine and I, we're, we're navigating some, some challenges between some of our extended family members. And so if I can be honest, like, th- this week, there, there was a night that, that uh, we were all together. And uh, everybody was there. But instead of hanging out with everybody, I, I chose to go and work on my school assignments. And as I reflect on this, I realize that instead of choosing the joy-filled response of going and loving those family members and, and, and trying to work through some stuff, I decided that I, I would be more like Herod in this moment. I put my wants and my desires first. I, I, and that, that's, a, that's an instance what, of what God was calling me to do, but I, I, I didn't do it. He's calling me to mend bridges. And, and as I reflect on that, that that's hard for me. And I, and I have to remember that, hey, when I, when I go in these times, joy, it's a state of being. As a, as a follower of Christ, I need to step into that, and I need to joyfully go and love them. And maybe the same is true for you today. Maybe there's those of us in the room that have also felt like Herod, or felt like the religious leaders. Maybe we've placed worldly happiness, our personal agendas. Maybe we've placed that in the forefront of our, 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 our thought. We've replaced biblical joy with what we want. And we forget the reason that we're able to have joy in the first place. And so my encouragement would be to all of us, myself included, is to, to choose the third response here. Choose the response of, of the wise man. Approach Christmas this year joyfully. And not just Christmas, but uh, approach life joyfully. Worshiping Jesus with humility, with generosity, and serving him with no, other, with, 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 with no other motive than the fact that we get to worship the king. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this time. God, as I, as I reflect on this story, I ask you, Lord, just to help us, or help us to live like the wise men. They saw your star. They responded with joy. 
And so help us, Lord, to live our lives just like that. That when we see a sign from you or we hear your voice, that we may act joyfully in all circumstances. Thank you so much, Lord, for the blessings that you have, you have given to us today. Guide us exactly where you need us. And we ask this in the matchless name of your son, Jesus, the one whom we celebrate today. Amen.